We can't scale jobs. You can't have a thousand jobs. There is no scale there. And even when you, even when you do like what I did, which is I, I went into business for myself, I got the greatest clients. I mean, I got Time Inc. and Condé Nast and the Wall Street Journal and Forbes and Harvard Business Review, all these huge clients. But all of what I was doing was still one-to-one leverage. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To reduce risk in your life, go to myworstinvestmentever.com today and take the risk reduction assessment I've created from the lessons I've learned from more than 500 guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Stu Heineck. Stu, are you ready to rock? Oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Uh, I've been excited to get you on for a while, and uh, let me introduce you for just a moment to the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, Stu Heineck is a best-selling author, one of the Wall Street Journal's cartoonists, and a twice-nominated Hall of Fame marketer. His How to Get a Meeting with Anyone was named one of the top 64 sales books of all time, while his next book explores a new growth strategy model based upon what? Weeds. His latest book that's coming out, How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed, will be released in June of this year. Stu, take a minute and fill us in about the value that you bring to this world. Well, you know, I think one of the things is I bring mischief to to business, and that's been a blast. <laughs> like, bring mischief to anything and you'll have a blast with it. But I think mischief is one of them because, you know, I've used, I'm a cartoonist, as you mentioned, and, uh, and I've used cartoons my whole career to break through to people. And I know that when they get them, they're just, they're just, what, what's this? What, where, where did this come from? So, and you know, if it's, it has to be on target. So if it's on target and it's funny and it's, and it says something positive about them, they will keep that in their office the rest of their careers. So, so that's one. But the other is that, you know, I'm 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 pre-launch on my book. So one of the things I have to do is I've got to I've got to revamp my website, my author website, because right now it just talks about getting meetings. And so, of course, we have this amazing book coming up, How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed. And so my my website has to be just completely redone. And one of the things that that, that I realized is I'm I'm writing copy for it and I'm doing the design and the copy for it is. Um, like, what does all of this have to do with each other? <laughs> like cartoons and getting meetings and growing your business like a weed. How can they possibly be related? But but it turns out they are. And the reason is that my whole career has been devoted to helping clients grow and where I can to help them grow explosively. So when I used cartoons and personalization in direct mail campaigns for, for magazine publishers, that's how I started in business. I was creating these campaigns that looked like nothing else in the mail. And they had a cartoon on the, let's say the outer envelope or on the front panel of a postcard or something. The cartoon caption was personalized. And so that cartoon was about you as the recipient. It was about you. And like, nobody had ever seen this. And I was doing it for all kinds of clients, but certainly the business clients really got a charge. I mean, there's some, man, I I set all kinds of records for, for business publishers using that that crazy little effect or approach. 
So there was cartoons helping them grow. There was, I was helping them grow their circulations like crazy. And then the weeds thing. Well, the weeds book comes from, I mean, it's biomimicry. Just like where sonar comes from and flippers and flight, airplanes, helicopters, et cetera. Some of our best innovations come from nature. And, and well, I was driving down a freeway. Well, actually, I think you know the freeway well, the Santa Monica Freeway. Oh, yeah. And, you know, six lanes of traffic going one way, six, six coming the other way, maybe a 40-foot wide concrete median in the middle. This is no place for a plant to grow. But what I spotted really quickly was a dandelion growing out, just growing out of a crack in the concrete. And I just thought, well, it's not an unusual sight either. I mean, we see it all the time. But I looked at that and I just said, oh, my God, look at this thing. You know, there it is. It's just it's in the middle of a freeway. It was in the media, at least. It was, you know, in the, in the roadway. But it was just kind of bouncing around. I Probably the smoggy turbulence of us driving by, just kind of bouncing around, running its process. And it didn't look like it was unhappy. It looked pretty happy, actually. Like, I don't think, I was just thinking to myself, it probably wasn't sitting there saying, well, this sucks. I always saw myself as, you know, living at the beach, maybe, or something. Or being a so, giant oak. Yeah, or being a big, I, you know, but well, it's actually, it's significant because, you know, we're used to seeing dandelions do this, but it was significant that I, I guess that it wasn't a rose bush, an oak tree, you know, a petunia, because those, those plants can't cut it as a weed. Weeds do every, everything they do is done with unfair advantages and at, at this really incredible, incredibly aggressive scale, both in terms of mindset and an actual scale. And they, they're just, if you watch what they do, they're just unbelievable. They're such perfected, I would say disruptors or examples of disruption. They're just, perf they're just perfect. So anyway, so all of it has to do with either fueling growth or providing strategy for growth mm. is kind of the whole point of all that. And when it comes to a weed, I guess they also get scarce resources that they're able to maximize. Because I'm thinking about, yeah, anybody can grow like a weed if you just got tons of resources. But many of these weeds are growing in very, you know, as you said, you know, in a cement laden area or, but yet they still with minimum amount of resources are able to grow. And that's part of what I like for the listeners out there. You can go to also, I'll have all the links in the show notes and there's a lot of things that are worth going to, but just to see the, the video that you've done, which I think you have on your website also, but also on your YouTube channel that you recently put up for this book, but just the explanation of it kind of just blows your mind because I never really thought about it that way. And then when you see, it's like swimming downstream rather than upstream when you say, how could I take advantage of what weeds do to grow fast? So it's just a, it's yeah. kind of a mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I think after reading this book, you will never look at weeds the same way. You may still see them in your lawn. I'm sure you will. <laughs> but, but you'll look at them and you'll watch what they're doing and appreciate what they're doing. And then maybe you'll pull them. <laughs> Actually, it reminds me of a book that I read by Chet Holmes called The Ultimate Sales oh, yeah. Machine. Or the Ultimate Sales Machine. And I, you know, I was just so mad when I finished that book. And in some ways, I feel really frustrated when I read Get the Meeting and I started to kind of look at what you're doing. Because with Chet Holmes, I felt like, you know, there's $100 bills all over the floor and I've just been walking past them and I never picked them up. Yeah. And he, yeah. you know, he's just saying, here they are. And it's the same thing that you're saying. And I just had an idea in my head. I had a course, an online course that I teach. And so I thought it would be fun to do some cartoon characters in this course, but I don't know how to draw. 
Well, I went on to Upwork, a, you know, a site for people. And I said, is there an artist? I found an artist and they did a rendition of me and of this guy and of that guy. And I said, I want a guy in his underpants on a computer in the middle of the night with numbers flying out. And I said, like, that's my kind of guy that I want. And he came back with these great. So it just made me think, okay, if I can't draw like, like Stu can, well, I have two options. One is I could draw my worst picture and say, and send it, this is my, I'm working, I'm taking a drawing class and this is my first version of you. <laughs> what do you think? I'm not named the worst for, for nothing. Or I could actually <laughs> go out and I could find a good artist that for a very low price could come up with some really nice things that I could then incorporate in the way I communicate. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, a couple of things rush to mind. One of them is, you know, how to get a meeting with anyone and get the meeting. Both of the books were based on, they started, I was, the first one was how to get a meeting with anyone. And the genesis of that was I used cartoons to break through to, I've, break, I've broken through to presidents and prime ministers and celebrities. I mean, it's like, it's mischief. It's great. It's a blast. And I've used cartoons to do that. Yeah. But in, in no way am I saying you have to be a cartoonist to do this, or this is just about cartoons. Mm -hmm. So in fact, the reason why I wrote the first book was because I started hearing story. Well, I've been thinking, aren't I cool? I have a secret weapon. I can get through to anyone. But then I started hearing stories about what everyone else was doing to get meetings. And it was fascinating. People have used the most incredibly audacious means to get, to get meetings that changed their lives. There was one guy who, who used, well, I'm going to use, I'm just going to say his name. Somebody used a pigeon to get a meeting with Steve Jobs. He wasn't, no cartoons involved, you know, and someone else ran a, a full page ad, a contact letter is a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal. It cost him $10,000 just to run it, but that was to reach Larry Ellison. And it was to open a conversation with Larry about perhaps buying this fellow's client's business. And it turned out that he was interested and they, I mean, they met, he was interested and he spent, well, I mean, the, the acquisition was $350 million. So it's a 3.5 million percent ROI on that campaign. It's crazy. And the highest ROI that I've seen from these campaigns that others, all of us are doing to, to reach people who can change our scale is a campaign that was done by a little startup called AuraBrush. They made these tongue cleaners and, mm. and they wanted to also think, you know, they wanted to sort of grow. Everyone wants to grow, but they wanted to grow beyond where they were. They were a year old. They were using YouTube ads to draw people to their site. They'd done a million dollars worth of business the first year, which is really good. And they thought, well, the thing that's next is we've got to get into Walmart and not just a few Walmarts, but all 6,800 of their stores. So they went through the usual process of, uh... see, the funny thing is I'm really, I love risk actually. <laughs> Yes. So we're going to have an interesting dynamic here, but but so they went. So the first thing they did is okay. Well, let's we'll apply like all they tell us to apply. We'll apply through their their vendor portal and let's see what happens. Well, nothing happened, mm -hmm. and so some of their younger staff members got the the three guys in marketing got really frustrated with it, and so they they put up an ad on Facebook, and they targeted the ad to the the Bentonville, Arkansas headquarters of Walmart. So the right zip code and also a certain age range and, and educational range. What they were trying to do is at least target the, the executives at Walmart, if not the right buyer at Walmart. 
And within 48 hours, they heard from Walmart and they were pissed <laughs> because they said, the ad said, Walmart employees have bad breath. But if you, you know, if you buy our product, if, something like that, if you buy our product, you won't. And so they were pissed. He said, what are you doing? Was this, did you run this nationally? <laughs> yeah. Or is that you? First of all, yes, it is. Did you run this nationally? I mean, what not is yet. this? No, not yet. <laughs> they said, no, no, no. We just targeted it to you. Really? How'd you do that? They explained it. Well, you guys are pretty sharp digital marketers. Yeah, yeah, we are. This is what we've been doing. And then before they knew it, they were put in touch with the dental products buyer at Walmart. That buyer said, can you um, can you support an order of 735,000 units, which was, which was like, let's say, one and a half times the their entire earnings for the for the previous year. Not only that, I think it was more like two thousand two million. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. so and then I interviewed the, their CEO and I said, "Well, okay, so you went from a startup and you were making a million and a half, something like that, and then you went to two million, or it was something like they went they went to two million suddenly with that order. They went to two million, right. and and then I said, "Well, so and now suddenly you've broken into Walmart, so now you're being rolled out in sixty eight hundred stores. What did that do to your valuation?" And he said, "I think it multiplied it by ten. So that was that was that was what it was. It was a million dollars worth of sales. They valued the company two x sales, and so they went from a two million dollar valuation to a twenty million dollar valuation, and got a million and a half dollar order from a twenty eight dollar ad in Facebook. So it's actually about mine's mine's about audacity and taking risks. Actually, I love taking risks because that's where where the really I think where the really great stuff is. So there's a lot of things I want to mention about that. The first one is when I was talking about Chet Holmes, I felt like there was $100 bills on the ground. And when I read your book and started understanding what you're talking about, now I feel like there's $1,000 bills on the ground. There could and be. For, for everybody out there, I think you've got to pay attention. And also, I think there's a few different things. I just want to go through on your book. I'm just holding this up for the viewers. Get the meeting, which is the latest book before the new one comes out about growing like a weed. But I just want to review what you write about contact marketing. First, audience. Who are the people who can change the scale of your career or business? And I think that for all of us, we've got to think about who is that person that we really want to reach. And if we're not thinking focused like that, then we're just, you know, shotgun, you know, out there and we're missing the mark. Second, metrics. Test relentlessly. Track ROI try new approaches and steer campaigns using metrics. Number three, audacity. Here's the risk-taking. Be audacious. Stand out. Leaving them saying, wow, hey, you got to see this. And finally, multimodal. Use various channels of communications to break through and stand out. I just think that that is really a challenge for all of the listeners, myself included, to really say that You've got to put it all together, but I think the first thing is you've got to get your target right. Each of the examples that you've talked about was specifically targeted at a specific person or company that you that they, they felt is going to change their business or their life. Is there anything you would add to that? Yeah, I, I would say it's not just one person, but you want to identify a handful of people. It could be up to 100, actually. And in the first book, I said, form a top 100 list and you know constantly cycle people on or off it based on whether you reach them or not, and, and maybe how your priorities change. And I would say that 
Okay, so I think a lot of your a lot of your listeners are working with they're in the financial industry and they're working with clients, maybe high net worth individuals. Yeah. And so you're going to be reaching out to those people, but you should also be reaching out to, let's say, referral sources, because you want to start setting up strategic alliances. And you might want to start, I mean, like in my list, and it's not as formal as saying, okay, here's my, here's my spreadsheet. But mm. in my list, there are constantly new people cycling in, actually just for mischief, <laughs> for the sake of mischief. I'm trying to get on Joe Rogan's podcast. So we'll see. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know if I fit as a, as a guest at all, but he's really interested in weed and I'm, I'm interested in weeds. So think, we'll see what I, happens. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it first here. I have no doubt that we're going to see you on Joe Rogan. No, Better get on there now. it's going to come. It's going to come. And one other thing that it made me think about too, is the idea that when you talked about risk-taking, you know, in some ways, if, you know, for the, for the listeners out there, you can't see it, but in, in Stu's background, you see his cartoons and his drawings and, a lot of it's about weeds, it looks like now. But I know that you've got this really creative space. And in fact, you could argue that, that your type of talent, your type of career is actually supposed to be risk-taking. You know, you're, you're, you're yeah, pushing. Yeah, I think so. Right? So sometimes for a person like myself or for others in financial or other areas, we're like, we're trying to minimize risk or we're scared of risk. And so what would be kind of the words of wisdom that you would have for us is kind of taking that first step and saying, I've got to embrace some of this risk or else I'm never going to be able to grow like a weed. Well, I'm going to tell you a couple of crazy things. One, I'm married to a penthouse cover model from Copenhagen. I saw her in a magazine and I reached out. So what would have happened if I didn't reach out? See, there's another thousand dollar bill right there on the ground. I just That's, that's the big, that's How the best meeting of my life. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, keep going. And so, and I'll tell you that the, my one of my favorite experiences was jumping out of an airplane, precisely because it was the scariest, it had been the scariest, it's not now, but it was the scariest thing I could think of doing. And so you jump out, let's say, like, let's say you do it with a tandem jump. So you have an instructor strapped to your back and you jump out and you do a, a minute long free fall and your life changes. Like, as soon as you go out the door, your life changes. It's drastic. It's incredible. And by the time you get down, well, like, you're just going, oh, my God, this is like, you're just overwhelmed with how cool it is. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And then finally, poof, you know, I don't know, maybe 300 feet, I'm sorry, 3,000 feet above ground level, they pull the chute. So now you're flying around, zipping around again. And finally you land. And and like, you can't wipe the smile off your face for weeks. It's a life-changing event. So... I guess I, I really love risk because a lot of the times it's just like, well, what's the, what's the downside? Well, like what, what happened? If I can't reach Joe Rogan, mm. what, you know, then I didn't reach him, right. you know? So what? Move yeah. on to the next one. But if I do, then it pays off in ways like I just described, like, you know, then suddenly you're married to a penthouse cover model or like out of nowhere. So, so my, my fellow risk takers are going to really criticize me if I don't ask you, please tell us how you did that, you know, introduction to your wife. Well, I, I saw her in the magazine and I reached out to the magazine. I worked at that point. I worked a lot with magazine publishers. Those were my, that was my, my customer base. So, I mean, this magazine wasn't, but I reached out and I said, you know, actually I was work. I wanted to turn, turn this into a film. So Hmm. I said, I'm working on a film. There's a model on page such and such of this issue. 
And I'm wondering if you can, I'd like to interview her. So I don't know where she lives. I'm coming to New York next week, but I'm also going to uh, Stockholm in a month. I don't know. She must live in one of the, she looked like she lived in one of these places. So would you tell me how to reach her? Or does she have representation or something? So they wrote back and said, well, her name is Charlotte. We don't know if she speaks a word of English. Just that they wrote back was kind of cool, actually. <laughs> right. But but so they wrote back and said, her name is Charlotte. We don't know if she speaks a word of English. Here's her photographer's name and number. Good luck. So I reached out to Mikael Anka, the uh, photographer, told him what I was doing, which is I wanted to interview Charlotte for this film project I had in mind. And so and I said, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to Stockholm. So, you know, I, I have to arrange the. I mean, I guess I could fly her to Stockholm. Mm. And he said, Stu, trust me, Charlotte is so difficult to work with. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, I'm, trust me, she will never, she won't fly to Stockholm to meet you. But why don't you change your booking, come to Copenhagen instead. And we'll, um, you know, there's some other models you should meet. And so, okay, what a great trip. This is going to, this is going to be a blast. And it was, it was the most amazing experience I've ever had. Now here's the really interesting. So he's called her and said, can I give you the, the, give this guy your number? Sure. Give him my number. He wants to interview you. Sure. So we arranged the interview and then I thought, I can't just leave it like that. I got it. So I called her back and I said, look, could I hire you to be my, my guide that day? Could you show me around Copenhagen? And she said, nope, can't hire me, but I'll, I'll gladly do it. So I spent the whole day with her. She showed me around Copenhagen. It was a blast. Now, here's the real kicker. And I thought, well, when, when I get home and I tell my friends this story, they're going to say, what are you, nuts? She was engaged at the time to the karate champion of Denmark. Here's the thing. I guess it's a information. All it's going to do is make the story more, more interesting. I mean, like, I didn't expect we'd have a showdown. It was just, you just sometimes the things that show up in life, you just go, okay, that, okay, cool. <laughs> wow, uh-huh. what a story this is going to make. So yeah, that's how that's how that happened. I mean, I'm still shortening it a lot. And she, I didn't like, she was, she didn't say, well, then let me unengage myself. Right. Because so he blew it and we stayed in contact and things progressed well, I think from the- there. I think the point, the lesson I learned from you is how do you start that conversation? And it's up to you to kind of carry that conversation and deliver value with your product, your service, or your personality, or whatever that is. So if you don't yes. deliver the value afterwards, then you're not really living up to, you know, what you're trying to, to sell anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think also maybe the message is if, to the extent that you have financial advisors, let's say, in your audience, I know that all, everyone's looking to reach out to high net worth individuals. Those are the, the those are the brass rings. Mm. And so you got to, of course, you have to have value, but I think you also have to have the audacity to reach out to them. I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, most of the advisors are probably saying, well, yeah, of course I do. But so you've got to put that into action. And when you put it into action, then just amazing things happen. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So let's, let's just take a minute. I know we've got a limited amount of time. And I'd love to just get a short, you know, summary of your worst investment ever. And I know we've also talked about the four pillars in your new book, and this ties into that final pillar. Maybe we could just do a quick summary of that because I, I don't want to take too much of your time. So if you could do tell us about your sure. worst investment ever. Well, I got to say, first of all, I don't invest outside much, outside my own business. And so, and where I have actually, they've paid, I've been really lucky. They've paid off really well. but. I would say that the 
So you mentioned the four pillars as well. One of the things that weeds do, one of the things that I learned from weeds, it's just an incredible lesson from them is that they never do anything alone. When you see a dandelion in your lawn, it's look up because it's not just one there. If it was just one dandelion, that wouldn't be a problem. But when they're, when you see one, look up and you'll see a hundred maybe or more. And the fact is that they somehow, they've just evolved that they do everything at collective scale. And, and then that teamwork, they overwhelm and they win. They just keep winning. We, on the other hand, humans, we're, we're taught to, I think, let's say from the time we've played, we first played musical chairs, we're like, where the hell did my chair go? <laughs> you know? mm. But and then you realize, well, my gosh, I, this, that's how life works. Okay, now I've got to watch it and I've got to be on top of it or I'm not, or I'm going to lose the game. And so that's, I think that's where it starts. And then you, you we're told, go to school, get good grades, get good grades, get into a good college, get good grades there, and then get a good job. And here's the thing, we can't scale jobs. You can't have a thousand jobs. There is no scale there. And even when you, even when you do like what I did, which is I, I went into business for myself, I got the greatest clients. I mean, I got Time Inc. and Condé Nast and the Wall Street Journal and Forbes and Harvard Business Review, all these huge clients. But all of what I was doing was still one-to-one leverage. Even though, you know, I thought, oh man, this is cool. And every time I create a campaign, it's like what, what I might've made in a year's salary in my previous jobs. And so that's pretty cool. Well, okay, but it's still not scalable. I didn't realize it. I still, I've stuck to one-to-one leverage. I've clung to it. That's probably my worst investment, let's say, in my life is clinging to one-to-one leverage. And I, I, I'm a pretty smart guy. I can teach myself to do things. Now we have YouTube. You can go on and get a test, or I mean, a tutorial video to teach you to do anything. And that's cool. And you should be learning new things all the time. But you have to, you have to, if you want to scale something, you have to have a team. Mm. And so I would say that every everything that I've done that has been, let's say, sort of doggedly pursuing one-to-one leverage is probably the worst investments in my life. And I don't know, like, like let's say at one point I wanted to control, that's a, another thing, it's often, often about control. So I wanted to control production on some of my direct mail campaigns. So I bought equipment to produce it myself. And, and it was a lot of equipment. It, was, it wasn't cheap. And then, and, but I bought it because we had a client that said, yep, we, we'll guarantee we're going to do this much business over the next two years. I thought, great, I'm not going to port this out to someone else to, to produce it when I should have, but I'm not going to port that out there. I'm not, I'm, and, and then this client went away halfway through. And so there I was with expensive equipment and a lease and, or leases, I should say, and my anchor client was gone. Mm. So, so I really believe that it's, it's more of a, it's more of a, almost a mindset thing that we have to get away from what well, the weeds have taught me that we have to root out all forms of one-to-one leverage in our operations and our businesses and our lives. And we quickly then move on to multi-channel scale, which is, you know, for financial advisors, that would be the immediate thing you could do to grow your business would be to go out and, and foster a, um, a referral network, start finding referral partners and work with them right away. And you will, you'll grow your business just by doing that. Right. If you start playing, if you start teaming with CPAs and, and attorneys, you will grow your business. So, but it's, it's, it's about 
forming a team. And eventually you'll form a, if you continue, you'll, you'll form a big team. You'll have a staff. You'll have a team of people that, if you're doing it right, are sort of a patch. They act as a patch of weeds or as a field of weeds, all working together toward the same goal, really toward maybe the same, not even just mission, but but a movement, maybe a, t- a moment in time, if you're doing this quite right. And everyone's everyone's working on, on with the same process, and they're, but it's a growing and living process and a fierce process, which, which is what weeds use. Mm. And, and that's how you scale things. And so to the extent that I've not done that, and I've made this mistake throughout my life, those are the worst the worst investments of time and money that I've, that I've made. Yep. It's i uh, I'm going to pull out a quote from what you said exactly later, but the, the quote that I, I'll try to say it is just that we have to root out this, any place that we have one-to-one leverage. And I think for the listeners out there, that's a huge challenge for you to see what is not scalable in your operation, in your business, in your life, you know, and I was just going to add in, I wrote down some things that I would say that I took away from our time together. One of them I wrote down earlier was don't do it alone. And you've already talked about referral partners and other things. And I know for a person like myself, I'm a self-reliant guy. I don't want to ask other people to help. I don't want to bother other people. And you're inspiring me and you inspire me through the book to say, reach out. There's a big world out there and people do want to work together. And that, that goes back to what you said about referral partners. And then, but the second thing I wrote down is I thought all of these, you know, what is every farmer dealing with? They're just got to, they're buying all these weed killers. Why? Because weeds are so relentless. And And you want to know how, you want to know how awesome weeds are? There are a couple of weeds, because I just have to interject this. There are a couple of weeds that are making, making their way across agricultural fields, you know, farms across North America, maybe and maybe all six continents. I mean, weeds are everywhere, every continent except Antarctica. Anyway, there's this one weed. Farmers are using all sorts of herbicides to get rid of these weeds. There's one weed, the water hemp, that has evolved immunity to Roundup, and it took it four years to do it, just four years. Is that, well, that's, it's scary, but it's, that's awesome. I mean, for the weed anyway, from a strategy standpoint, that's just incredible. It did it by, it changed, essentially it changed its process amazing. and and evolved around it. Isn't that amazing? So sorry, I just, just yeah. had to throw that in. And in 1971, a very famous band wrote a song about weeds. Oh. And it wasn't about the weed that Joe Rogan smokes with when you're <laughs> going to be on the show with him, but... It's another one. It's called Return of the Giant Hogweed, written by Genesis in their album, Nursery Crime. And it starts off, turn and run. Nothing can stop them. Around every river and canal, their power is growing. Stamp them out. We must destroy them. They infiltrate each city with their thick, dark, warning odor. So there's even wow. songs written about weeds. And I think you got to take that one and play with it. Oh, that's pretty cool. I didn't know. I didn't even realize that. The Return of the Giant Hogweed, a fantastic Gosh, that's, song. That's Genesis. crazy. So take a listen. Wow. Now, I want to just highlight to the listeners your resource that you would recommend that they go to. I believe you're offering something on your site. Maybe you can just tell the listeners for that. Yeah, with, with apologies too, because I'm redoing my site. We're, we're working on it right now. So the site isn't looking the way I want it to look, but it'll soon look different. But there's an offer for the first two chapters of How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed. 
And so I would say, go to my author site, stuheinek.com, S-T-U-H-E-I-N-E-C-K-E.com, and claim those first two chapters. Yep. Fantastic. And we'll have a link in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. You can also go on Amazon right now and pre-order the book in Kindle, in hardcover, and other formats that you've got up. Last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? It's very simple. I believe that the Weeds book will become the number one best-selling growth strategy book on the market in the world. Not because I wrote it, in fact, sort of in spite of the fact that I wrote it, that my name's even tied to it. It's because the weeds are so awesome. Because when people look down, when they look at what weeds are doing, when they stop looking at them as just, let's say, trash or, or pests, and look at what they're doing, they'll be amazed. And they'll be saying, oh my God, look at all these things I can draw from this. So my number one goal is to make that book the number one best-selling growth strategy book in the world. Well, that is an amazing goal. And I think we can help you with that. And we're going to benefit from that. So that's fantastic. In fact, I have a best business book club where we go over the best business books of all time. And I may be asking you to come back and talk to my audience there, my group. So listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet taken the risk reduction assessment, I challenge you to go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and start building wealth the easy way by reducing risk. As we conclude, Stu, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. On behalf of Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Oh, man. Well, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's just an honor to be on a podcast with the world's worst podcast host. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what you have, I don't know if you knew this, but what you have on your show is the chief weed officer of the world. Tell me what? <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> anyway, well, I would just thank you so much for the opportunity to, to hang out with you, talk with you. It's amazing to know that I'm on an island in, in Washington and you're in Thailand and, we're, and we get to do this. Yeah. Well, it's been great having you. And I think we all are going to cheer on the chief weed officer of the world as you get on the Joe Rogan experience. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying thank you for joining our mission and I'll see you on the upside.